Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I am your host, Nick Agar Johnson. It is Tuesday afternoon, and we are actually recording on Tuesday afternoon for the second week in a row after a very disjointed schedule leading up till now. But maybe things will be more normal-ish now that I'm not dying of some mysterious illness that wasn't COVID, but sucked pretty bad. But anyway... We are here for our Tuesday afternoon episode of Draft Deep Dives here on the NBI Deep Dives podcast, which of course means I'm joined by my co-host, Tyler Metcalf. Tyler, how are you doing this fine Tuesday afternoon? Nick, I'm fantastic. The The Timberwolves are up one nothing. hopefully going up 2 nothing tonight. Uh, but either way, just that, that's going to be a really fun series regardless and really excited to talk about the guys we're going to talk about today. Yeah, that series being on NBA TV is just it's, really unfortunate for the entire world. It's an absolute shame. You, you have two of the most athletic, dynamic, most easily marketable young stars in the league, and John Morant and Anthony Edwards, and you throw them on NBA TV. Good because job. why don't we just watch the Suns absolutely maul the Pelicans on national TV instead of that yeah, matchup? I, 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 I don't understand the NBA sometimes, and that this is a prime example of it. <laughs> well, let's move then away from the NBA that we don't understand, and into some draft prospect discussion. So we're going to start off by talking about your most recent Friday Screener article over at No Ceilings NBA. And you wrote about Malachi Branham, who is someone who we have discussed on this particular podcast pretty recently after I wrote an article on him that was a sleeper deep dive right at the moment that he stopped being a sleeper prospect. So that was fun. But today we're going to talk less about his scoring, which was more of the focus of my article, and talk about his passing, which was the subject of your Friday screener piece. And you brought up the concept, which I completely agree with, that while his scoring is what makes him a first-round talent, really the thing that sort of stands out most in comparison to the other wings in this class is his passing. So why don't you just sort of give us an overview of what you saw in Malachi Branham as a passer when you went in on his film? It's really just kind of like you said, uh, it's that skill that separates him from all these other young wings. And it gives him the opportunity to take on more of an on-ball role in the NBA at a much quicker pace than a lot of young prospects will be able to. Um, That. The shooting is obvious, and he's a lethal off-ball shooter. The mid-range pull-ups, especially out of the pick-and-roll, were deadly. Really good straight-line driver, but if you can't really counter a defense when they double you or when they rotate at a perfect time, you become a pretty one-dimensional player. And by having the passing accuracy, consistency, patience, just composure that Branham showed on a regular basis, that's what allows him to you know, not necessarily be an on-ball primary creator, even though we did see stretches of that, but it allows him to attack closeouts, make the right read, make the extra pass, find the open guy, just constantly make the right decision in the regular flow of the offense. So one of my favorite duos to watch in college basketball this season was Malachi Branham and EJ Liddell, who you start out the piece by talking about Branham's entry passing, which Passing into the post is one of the skills that gets pretty constantly harped on as a dying skill in in the modern NBA, and it's something that Brandon does very well. And obviously part of that is playing alongside someone who's also likely to be a first-round pick in the front court in EJ Liddell. You know, you have someone to pass to. It's a little bit easier than if you're playing with post players who aren't anywhere near as good as EJ Liddell, but 
it is going to be really helpful for him, I think, earning playing time early on that he's able to make those post-entry passes that a lot of other wing and guard players really don't have as much practice with as Brandon showed, honestly, just in his one year at Ohio State in terms of feeding DJ Liddell down low. Yeah, and it, it's, it seems like a really simple skill. Like, yeah, you have a post player posting up, passing the ball. Cool. But it's kind of the, like, it's like the guard version of, you know, setting a screen when we harp on big men who can't screen. It's like, just set a screen. It seems pretty simple. But, the, but there is a bit of art and a bit of craft and consistency to it that a lot of players don't have because they're never really asked to do it or asked to do it at a high level. And you know, over the past, you know, however many years in the NBA, we continue to see, you know, the the post-ups become less and less. And we see the ability to just make an entry pass die down. And, you know, it's understandable because if you're never asked to do something, then how are you expected to do it? But I, I wanted to start with Branham's kind of ability to, to make an entry pass as a display of a simple passing skill that he is pretty clearly mastered. And it's it shows up with his lack of hesitation, his ability to use his length to pass over his defender to take that you know extension step and pass around with a bounce pass to read how the post defender is leaning on Branham's teammate and pass to the other side of that to set him up for an easy score. So while it does it I know it feels like a really basic skill and a basic thing for a player to do. But it it really highlights just his ability to do the simple things, to make the simple pass, and really highlights his awareness and kind of passing craft. I think that's a key point to make because there are some skills that you sort of assume pretty much anybody who makes it to the mm-hmm. NBA can do. And it stands out in much more stark contrast when you see someone like Branham who makes that simple pass, but makes it well every time rather than someone who's just you know, maybe someone sees the rotation, but doesn't have as much practice or isn't as good at feeding the post and they miss that pass. And, you know, being off on that pass is the difference between an easy bucket for your big man and, you know, them having to reset the play, kick it back out or throw up something wild in the post. I mean, it's one of those things that it seems super simple in theory, but in reality, there are a lot more players that can't make that pass well than you would think. And therefore, the players that can make that read, you know, really help their offense by getting the ball in the right places at the right times. Yeah, and, and we, we see it that just like that simplistic and really just quick processing speed that we see on the entry passes, we see him make on the perimeter just with that extra pass where he, he's really a pretty unselfish player. And that's what helps that offense keep flowing and keep the ball moving. And so frequently with these young guys who are really high level scorers and shooters, they focus on taking that shot and understandably so, because they've always been the guy and, you know, they're still kind of the the guy. Um, But with Branham, it's all about making the best play for the offense and not necessarily himself. Um, there, there were certainly stretches where he took over a game from a scoring standpoint, but that decision-making, that quick processing speed, the, you know, p- playing at his own pace and just keeping the ball moving was always a main aspect of how he played. And that I think stands out in particular because a lot of young scoring wings aren't as unselfish as Branham, aren't as willing to just make the right play as opposed to trying to make the spectacular play. And Granted, I am a big fan of EJ Liddell, so that's certainly coloring Mm -hmm. this next statement, but 
part of it is that Branham was not the focus of the offense at any point this season, even when he did sort of break out as a scorer in January, February, you know, around the middle of the season, he still wasn't the primary guy on that offense. And I think that is a huge part of him being willing to be unselfish. You know, he wasn't just getting the ball 30 times a game and saying, okay, do what you want with it. You know, he wasn't the focus of the offense and he therefore sort of grew into his own on the offensive end throughout the course of the year. And I think part of that is just his nature as a relatively unselfish player, despite his scoring gifts. But I think part of that also is honestly that he didn't have to be the primary guy and therefore, you know, could open up his passing game in that regard because there was someone down low who was taking most of the attention. Yeah, that that's a really important point because when he came in, he wasn't expected to be a one and done guy, but he bought into the system, played his role, and gradually developed and showed off more throughout the season as it progressed and quickly became, you know, not necessarily the guy, but one of the guys, so, you know, a one A, one B type option. And you know, he, he really highlighted the fact that he can play off ball, can play in this tertiary role um, where he's spotting up or cutting or attacking closeouts doing you know more off ball stuff but then he also highlighted that he can be a dominant on ball scorer and creator so in the NBA I don't expect him to play that latter role but in second units or you know if he's playing with another dominant shooting guard he can take on more of those on ball responsibilities and find different ways to counter and manipulate defenses So one skill of his that I think is going to be huge for his ability to play that more secondary role in addition to, you know, maybe having the ball in his hands more as a primary guy is he's not just someone who makes good passes out of the triple threat or standing still. He's someone who is really good at passing on the move. And especially given his scoring talents, I think that ability to not just make passes from a standstill, but also make passes off motion is going to be huge for his development at the next level because you know that way he can keep the ball moving even when he's in motion which seems relatively straightforward but there are a lot of players who are very good standstill passers who don't quite have the handle or don't quite have the awareness to make those plays on the move and that is not Malachi Branham's game at all yeah and it's kind of the similar disparity between standstill shooters and actual movement shooters Mm -hmm. um and I, I think what, what really allows Branham to do that is that he his game never gets sped up. And that's so rare with freshmen. When we look at guys like Terquavion Smith or Bryce McGowan's or Blake Wesley, they're constantly playing at a hundred percent. They're, you know, it's a full sprint, it's a pedal to the metal the entire time. And with Branham, he just never gets sped up or forced into uncomfortable situations and he plays at his own pace and dictates how the defense is going to play because of that um then the the movement passing is because of that because he's always on balance he's always under control and he is just always really composed and patient in what he does it's such a just weird oddly mature game from a pure freshman that just we, we don't see a whole lot of and it's really encouraging to see him do that basically all season And then, you know, imagining that translating to the NBA, yeah, there'll be a learning curve because there always is for everyone. But I don't see any situation where he's really aggressively taken out of his game. 
That's a great point. And not to go back to the King's point guard well again, which I've done frequently, but here we go again. It was very interesting to see how De'Aaron Fox came into the league as, if not the fastest player in the league, then certainly one of the fastest players in the league. And his first year, he really, really struggled with NBA defenses because he just couldn't change speeds all that well. You know, Mm -hmm. his top gear was faster than pretty much everybody, but he really, it took him a few years to sort of settle into the idea of being able to mix up speeds, to be able to use a hesitation dribble and catch defenders off guard before you then, you know, charge at the rim. And then when Tyrese Halliburton, RIP, not really, but, you know, he's a pacer now, so RIP for all intents and purposes, Kings-wise, but he came into the league and immediately just had this sense of being able to speed down or slow up based on what the play required. And especially with someone like Branham, who's not going to be one of the best athletes in the NBA, mm-hmm. his ability to be able to change speeds effectively and sort of have that maturity in his game is going to be huge for his ability to succeed at the next level because he's not necessarily going to be able to blow past everyone at the NBA level, but the ability to change speeds effectively can be almost as good as being able to go ridiculously fast on every play because, you know, you see this with guys like Luca and James Harden, who their ability to change speeds, turn on a dime, all of those things allows them to get past their defenders in a way that maybe they wouldn't be able to if they just relied on athleticism, which they don't have in, say, the same degree that a Deer and Fox or a John Wall might have had. Yeah, the, and the, those are the the two names I was just about to bring up, too. And obviously, we're not saying that Branham is Luca or Harden. They're completely different players. But that style of, you know, that it's deceleration and strength and using your just really fine-tuning what your body, this athleticism that your body does have and not trying to be something different and when when you're keeping the defenders off balance and keeping them guessing on you know what speed you're going at where you're going how you're keeping your dribble alive all that kind of stuff it may not create gaping windows but it creates enough of a window where he can then use his size and length to either get off a really good shot or find an open cutter or a shooter and just continue to see the floor and get to whatever spot he wants to get to because he's never being rushed or never being taken out of his game. And I, I, you know, something we see from him a lot that really, you know, help highlights this is he rarely picks up his dribble in a bad spot. And that's something we see so frequently from young players is that they drive their help defender slides over. Now they're doubled on the baseline and they pick up their dribble and now they're screwed and have to make some acrobatic jump pass that gets picked off 90% of the time. And Branham just is always calm. He's always composed. And instead of doing that, he's, you know, circling back around, keeping his dribble alive, and then finding his open teammate on the opposite block for an, for a wide open layup. So it it's just, it, it just continuously caught me off guard when I was just compiling this film of, God, this guy's just never rattled. And he's just always calm, cool, and collected. And from kind of a secondary guy as a pure freshman. I I think that's so intriguing. So speaking about his common composure, this is less of a secondary guy thing, but certainly something that would be huge for him at the NBA level. He was astonishingly effective in pick and roll situations, both as a scorer, but also as a passer. And 
especially for someone who's likely to be a secondary guy, his ability to run pick and rolls on the other side of the floor is going to be huge for his ability to be successful in an NBA context. And that incredible efficacy in the pick and roll is also, I think, the best argument for a high ceiling for him than maybe we assume for someone who's likely to go in the back half of the first round is just how effective he can be in those pick and roll situations. Yes, and just to kind of run through the numbers here real quick, um, he was in the 84th, or his passes were in the 84th percentile as a pick-and-roll ball handler, uh, 64th percentile when passing to the roll man, and the 92nd percentile when passing to a spot-up shooter. Um, I think the disparity in the the roller to the shooter numbers um, are because Ohio State didn't really have a true rim-running big man. Um, you know, Yeah, that's not really EJ <laughs> Liddell's style. No, but but both him and Kyle Young were more pick and pop type guys. Um, even though they they had a little bit on the roll, and the sixty fourth percentile in college is still tremendous. Um, but I I do think that he has that ability to kind of to really play like that cat and mouse game in the mid range out of the pick and roll that we see from a lot of NBA pick and roll ball handlers. And what, once he's paired with a more traditional rim runner with NBA level athleticism and verticality. Then you know. Then we're really talking about something pretty scary in terms of an on-ball pick and roll creator. That's also where his solidness in terms of not picking up his dribble at the wrong time is really key. Because you know we've talked frequently this year about some of the players in this class who struggle in the mid-range game and how that would be a huge piece of their game that they need to work on. You know, mostly with Kennedy Chandler, but with a few other guys as well, and. With Branham, that's really not a thing for him. And mostly that's just yeah. because he's an exceptional shooter. But also it comes back to that calm and composure and excellent decision-making ability that he has. He's not someone who's going to get trapped in the mid-range and have no idea what to do. Or as you mentioned, he's not going to be someone who gets stuck in a terrible situation and is forced to make a ridiculous jump pass and hope that it works. You know, he's someone who can get to his spots effectively and make the right pass when he needs to make it or pull up in the mid range. If defenses are foolish enough to leave him open there. Yeah. And when we just, if we just purely look at how his, you know, college pick and roll ball handling, you know, came out, it's, it's obscene and it's not something you expect from a two or three um, on the perimeter. So I, I I already ran through his passing numbers, but when he dribbled off the pick and took a dribble jumper, he was in the 73rd percentile, took a floater 97th percentile, and in the 97th percentile again when he took it to the rim. So then if you paired that with a traditional rim runner, there's really nothing out of the pick and roll that this guy can't do. And, you know, when we talk about young players operating on the pick and roll, it's mainly with how they score and as an NBA defender you can kind of figure out how to at least contain guys in that because most of the time they don't have the passing the fact that he has the passing to shooters or rollers or cutters to go on top of that it's just it's really fascinating to see how he will translate because it he he feels pretty situational proof where i think he can fit in you know, almost any rotation in the league. Yeah, that's a big thing with him is just that his combination of scoring ability and passing touch makes it really difficult for me to see him failing on the offensive end. Mm -hmm. You know, he's got enough 
skills where he's good enough at a baseline level, you know, good enough as a mid-range pull-up guy, good enough as a catch-and-shoot threat off the ball, good enough as a pick-and-roll ball handler, good enough as a get the ball passed to him and make a dribble or a quick decision kind of thing. You know, he's someone who is good enough at a wide enough variety of different things offensively that I think he'll find a niche at the NBA level. And, you know, whether that's as, say, a sixth man who you rely on to run the offense and put up scoring in bunches off the bench, or whether that's someone who's kind of more of a complimentary starter type, or if he really does develop even more as a pick and roll ball handler, maybe something more than that down the line, you know, I think that his defense comes and goes, honestly, but his offensive game, it's hard to see him not finding a fit offensively at the NBA level. Yeah, I, I, I was a little more mixed on his defense. There's definitely stretches where it's like, oh, okay, there it is. And, you know, you, you certainly see the physical traits that suggest he could be a good defender, but it was a lot of mistakes that a lot of young players tend to make. But the, the way he consistently performed and grew on offense, you know, really doesn't make me concerned about the defensive inconsistency because I think the offensive production with the shooting, the at-room finishing, the passing, the playmaking, the decision-making, the processing speed, all of it, I think is going to far outweigh any defensive concerns because it's going to be so freaking positive. All right. So now that we've talked some more about Malachi Branham and his passing, Let's move on to talking about some of our favorite passers in this class, not named Malachi Branham. So I'm going to start off with someone else who we've discussed pretty frequently on this podcast throughout the year, Trevion Williams out of Purdue, who I said at the time that we discussed Trevion Williams in particular, that it's not just that he's one of the best passing big men in this class. It's that he's one of the best passers period in this class. And a lot of the reason that Jaden Ivey didn't have the ball in his hands as much as some might have expected was because Purdue was pretty well served by putting the ball in Travion Williams' hands. You know, he was solid enough as a post-up guy, but really the strength of his offense and the dynamism and the facet of his game that will be most important to whether or not he succeeds at the NBA level is just his ability to hit basically any kind of pass you would want from making the basic simple reads to throwing some of the most audacious passing attempts I've seen from anyone in college this season. And some of them didn't go all that great, but most of them, you look at them as like, wow, you know, he could, he could really sling the ball around. And again, it's not just that he's a great passer for his position, which to be clear, he very much is, but he's just an exceptional passing talent period. And in this class where, as we talked about pre-podcast, there are definitely some ups and downs in terms of the passing talents in this class. Trevion Williams is someone who's really stood out to me all year long as just an exceptional talent at getting the ball to his teammates. Yeah, and the, the passing's undeniable. I, I think you're a little higher on Trevion overall than I am. Um, but I'm, yeah, the, the, he's an absurd passer. My, my only gripe with his passing is, you, you kind of hinted at it, but it felt like as the season went on, he tried to force it a lot. And some of those passes are like, I know you've made that before, but like, what are you doing? Like, that's a really bad turnover. Yeah. Um, it's, it's almost like, like he, he realized the recognition and love that he was getting for it and kept trying to create these highlight plays. And, you know, when they, when they worked, it was like, Oh my God, like that's gorgeous. But toward as the season went on more, more sort of towards the end, it felt like there was stuff that he was trying to force for the sake of forcing it. But, 
the 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 passing touch, the awareness, the accuracy, the vision. It, it's absolutely absurd, especially for his position. But in this draft class overall, that's pretty bereft of really high quality playmakers. Um, you know, he's certainly towards the top. I mean, maybe he felt like he had to throw flashier passes to get more playing time, given how many minutes he sat behind Zach Eady, which I think, even though I'm higher on Travion than you are, I think we both agree that Purdue could have yeah. used more Travion and less Zach Eady. But hey, when you've got a seven foot four dude who can score on like 70% of his possessions, eh, you know, maybe the ridiculous passing talent at 6'10 kind of gets overlooked. But yeah, I mean, there were definitely some of those attempts where it's just like, maybe that works in practice seven times out of ten, but it does not work in a game seven times out of ten. But, I mean, that's something that we also have talked about frequently with playmaking prospects and something that I'm pretty sure we'll discuss when we get to another prospect that we're going to talk about on this front. But sometimes you just have to admire and be pleased by the willingness to try those passes because it shows you know, a willingness and a creativity to make those passes that, yeah, you know, maybe by year two, year three, you sort of figure out a little bit more of, okay, maybe that's not worth the risk kind of thing. But if you're not willing to take those risks at all, then that sort of limits your playmaking game to a certain extent. And that is definitely not a problem that Trevor Williams has. Yeah. And I, I, I forget who who said it, but it may have been Calipari a few years ago, and he was asked about his point guards like turnovers, and his his response was along the lines of, you know, if he doesn't have a certain amount of turnovers, that means he's not trying stuff, and that means that our offense is stalling out and being too passive. So, the, the, they're not not all turnovers are obviously created the same, and you know, the, the, there is certainly some leeway when it comes in terms of you know how good of a passer some players are. So the first player that you wanted to talk about for this section was another freshman whose draft stock certainly improved down the stretch run of the season. Now, granted, in the case of this prospect, it was mostly because their stock tanked towards the beginning of the season. But again, this is a prospect that you don't necessarily associate with their passing gifts, but is someone who has proven themselves to be a really adept passer at times. Granted, not my favorite passer on this team because Jaime Hawke has also played on that team, but you wanted to talk about Peyton Watson's passing. And I think that's going to be a fascinating skill to look at in terms of where Watson ends up getting drafted because he struggled a lot in terms of his scoring, but his ability to keep the ball moving was a huge part of why he ended up getting more minutes down the stretch run of the season than he had at the beginning. Yeah, I, I got a little weird with my picks, and I, I know when Peyton when you hear Peyton Watts' name, the first thing you think about is it's either a really bad situation or it's his defense. Um, but I absolutely adored his passing and playmaking that he showed off in high school, and I, I do think that that's a real skill that he has in his bag that he wasn't really allowed to show at UCLA. Um, now he wasn't allowed to show a whole lot of anything at UCLA, unfortunately, but when team, whichever team drafts him, they're obviously going to be drafting him for the defensive upside, the physical upside um, with the hope that they can harness something out of his offense. And I think the first thing in his offense that they can really harness besides transition scoring or whatever is that passing. And he just has really good accuracy, um, really good vision. And it, it was just a skill that he wasn't allowed to utilize at UCLA because he was never given the ball really. And 
this is a hundred percent a bet on pre-college film. Um, but what I saw from him um, in high school, I thought was really interesting, especially for his position. And you mentioned, you know, especially for his position. And that I think is going to be the key factor here because, you know, we talk about this mostly with three and D prospects where if you're just a shooter, you kind of need to be able to do at least something else. And given how much Watson struggled with his shot, especially the first couple months of the season, his ability to contribute positively on the offensive end will, I think, be dependent on him, you know, at least somewhat being a good enough ball mover that, you know, teams aren't worried about him getting picked on when he's got the ball in his hands. And he's going to be drafted on the basis of his defense and his athleticism, which mainly shows up on the offensive end in terms of his transition scoring. But if he's someone that you can rely on to make the right read when the ball swings to him, then I think that will be a way that he can earn more playing time early on in his NBA career and get the sort of developmental minutes that he needs to grow his game on the offensive end. Yeah, and I certainly don't think he's going to be some primary playmaker or, you know, point forward or anything like that. But running in transition or, you know, operating some random pick and roll or passing out of cuts and offensive rebounds, stuff like that, making the extra pass like we talked about with Branham. I I think that he really does have a lot of that in his game. And as he hopefully uh, carves out a bigger and more prominent role with as his career develops, I, I do really think that that passing and ball movement and playmaking is a legitimate skill that he can harness to elevate his offensive role. So someone who is likely to be a primary playmaker, at least to some degree at the NBA level, is the next player I wanted to discuss. Another personal favorite of mine, another sleeper deep dives target here. But I wanted to talk about Alondis Williams. And Obviously, his breakout season at Wake Forest was mostly focused on due to him tripling his scoring from his year at Oklahoma previously to his first season at Wake Forest. But he also led the ACC in assists and assists per game. And this is what I hinted at earlier when talking about Travion Williams with how sometimes it is a really good sign that these players are willing to make audacious passes, even if, eh, you know, sometimes they don't really work out. And Certainly something with Williams, he had a lot more opportunity and presumably just purely based on the way that he played a lot more confidence in his abilities than he had during his year at Oklahoma, during his two years at Oklahoma, really. And his turnover numbers were not great, but his assist numbers absolutely exploded. And even though there were some plays where I definitely felt like, uh, what are you doing here? There were also a ton of moments where it's like, wow, you know, he's willing to try this kind of pass where when it does work out and it did work out more often than not for him. I mean, he did have a positive assist to turnover ratio despite turning the ball over as often as he did. You know, I think that'll be huge for him because he's clearly an exceptional athlete. Anyone who saw his college dunk contest performance would know that he's an exceptional athlete, but his ability to be able to make plays as well out of pick and roll situations, or if he's off the ball, which given his shooting probably won't be all that often, but you know, to be able to keep the ball moving when he is off the ball. He's someone who has shown, especially in comparison to his previous two years at Oklahoma, that he can do a lot of damage with the ball in his hands, not just as a scorer finisher around the basket, but also as someone who can make plays for his teammates. Yeah, and I, I think he was one of the most audacious passers in the country this year. And, and I, I mean that as a 
compliment, obviously. Um, and More I've, of a compliment than an insult. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, the turnovers were a little higher than, you know, would be preferred. But like you said, it's because he was willing to try a lot of really ballsy passes. And I think the way that that entire Wake Forest team moved the ball um, and made some of those really audacious passes, you know, I think he was really empowered to try that stuff and really utilize his creativity and passing accuracy. So even though the turnovers were really high, I'm not overly concerned about it because I think his coaching staff wanted him to make a lot of those passes. And, you know, obviously not all of them are going to go perfectly. So in an NBA context, I think he'll be able to rein that back in while also still utilizing some of that highlight passing. So I I love him as a passer. I think he's the second best passer in this um, draft class and in the country this last year and how he fits in. Um, an NBA offense, I think is going to be fascinating, especially if it's a high, high ball movement um, and high energy offense. So up next, we've talked about one big man prospect already, and you wanted to talk about another prospect who you have also discussed on a Friday screener previously, not about his passing, but you know, someone who is certainly a solid passer for their position. I'm not sure I would go quite as far as I did with Travion Williams in terms of calling him one of the best playmaking prospects in the class. But Jalen Williams is certainly someone whose NBA future will be massively boosted by his ability to make solid passing rates. And this is Arkansas Jalen Williams, not one of the 18,000 other Jalen Williams. Um, But so the the way that Travion Williams and Jalen Williams are – they're very different passers. Um, I, I think Travion is more of kind of, you know, he could potentially be a almost a primary playmaking um, player out of the post or from the elbow area where Jalen is just so adept at making the right read and pass out of the short roll. And that's such an important skill for big men in the pick and roll game. Um, it just, he has really good balance, really good footwork that allows him to avoid those defensive rotations and really quick processing speed and accurate passing ability and awareness. So that ability to immediately make that proper decision out of the role and find an open shooter in the corner or a cutter um, is really important and just helps take his pick and roll game to another level. Yeah, and you mentioned his fascinating pick-and-roll scoring game in your Friday screener about him, and his passing ability just sort of magnifies that because it changes the way that defenses have to cover him in the short-roll situations. You know, it's not just like, say, early career Joel Embiid, where it's like if he gets the ball, he's not passing it back out, and if he does, it's going to be a turnover. Now, granted, Joel Embiid has grown leaps and bounds as a passer, so that's not really fair to the kind of player he is now, but... You know, Jalen Williams' pick-and-roll scoring ability is one thing, but his ability to couple that with solid passing, solid passing decisions makes it even easier to try and get him ball in those pick-and-roll situations where he's already so effective. Yeah, and it, it, it's what we see. I know obviously, he's a very different player from Draymond Green, but it, it's that kind of same offensive impact out of the pick-and-roll that Draymond Green has, and it's the ability to flare the ball all over the court to find the open guy and just really keep the defense on their heels. And just too many big men um, are one dimensional out of the role. And Jalen Williams doesn't have that problem. 
And finally, wrapping things up, someone who I'm willing to bet that nobody listening to this podcast is surprised that I want to bring up, especially in terms of favorite passers in the draft class, Nikola Jovic out of Mega Mozart slash Mega Bimax slash whatever the name is this year as opposed to last year, which it honestly, it feels like it literally changes every year, but that's an entirely different point. And with Jovic, unlike Jalen Williams, there is the concept of him being a primary guy, at least in certain situations, him being a primary playmaking hub and his ability to make accurate passes as well as his occasional ability to make spectacular passes is a really positive sign for how his playmaking can develop at the NBA level. And especially given his shooting touch, which I am fully bought in on, other people are less bought in on, but his ability to combine that shooting touch at 6'10 with his exceptional playmaking is why people who are high on him, like say myself, why people who are high on him are high on him as a prospect. And it is really fun to just watch him throw the ball all over the court. And, you know, granted, sometimes those are turnovers, which, you know, again, like with Alondis Williams, sometimes those audacious passes are really fun and they go through and you're super happy about it. Other times they kind of fly out of bounds and you have to rewatch the play and eh, think about it a little bit more, but his willingness to try those passes and the fact that he is used at times as a primary playmaking hub is really fascinating in terms of projecting his NBA future. Yeah. And if, if you're really buying into the shooting, like I know you are, then, you know, the, the passing is just the cherry on top. And I, I don't, I'm not sure I necessarily see him as the primary or secondary guy, but if he can be utilized kind of in a similar fashion as Duncan Robinson is with his passing and decision-making coming off screens and DHOs and that, that just like that really quick decision-making and ability to, 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 to play, you know, a give and go game with the big man that opens up so much. And a lot of movement shooters don't have that ability. And if Jovic can really harness that, that it just adds such another dynamic to his game that will help him, you know, elevate his overall offense. This is an asinine point to make, but I feel like I have to make it anyway. The difference there is Duncan Robinson is a 6'8 wing and Nikola Jovic is a 6'10 big man. And, you know, the kinds of passes he's going to be making as a big man versus someone who's out there on the wing, they're, you know, they're different passes. And I think he does better with that than he would with just sort of a more basic dribble handoff type game. But you know, I mean, if he doesn't succeed in the NBA at the level to which I thought he would, it's probably just going to be because of his athleticism and concerns with his defense. But if it does work out with his offense, I think the playmaking is not as essential as his shooting and ability to be sort of a stretch big man. But I think it's a little more than a cherry on top, just in the sense that, you know, the appeal with him is he's someone who if he hits his absolute ceiling, you can rely on as a playmaker out of the post, as a playmaker in high ball screens, you know, as someone who can make good plays, even as a pick and pop type big man, you know, him being a 6'10 power forward type, I think is a big difference to the 6'8 wing types like a Duncan Robinson say. Yeah, and that, that that's fair. And that also feeds back into you you just happening to be a little higher on him than I am. And I, I'm not sure I necessarily see that high of an outcome for him. Um, but if if the shot hits, if that passing really does hit, then then that's the type of player we're gonna be talking about. And you you will be one thousand percent vindicated. Well, you know, given how rarely that happens, it's nice when it does happen <laughs> every once in a while.
I'm right there with you. All right. Anything else before we wrap things up here? Um, I don't believe so. I will have something coming out on Friday over on NoCeilingsNBA.com. Um, not sure what yet, but it'll be good. Hopefully, maybe. I don't know. Um, it'll be a surprise, and it'll definitely exactly. be good. <laughs> Exactly. All right. Well, he is Tyler Metcalf. You can find him on Twitter at T-M-E-T-C-A-L-F-1-1, and you can find his work on No Ceilings NBA as well as at Hashtag Basketball and over at Canisupis. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. I will have another Sleeper Deep Dives article coming out this Thursday on USC big man Isaiah Mobley. So please check that out when it releases. You can also find my work on hashtag basketball as well as over at Nets Republic. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. Always much appreciated on our end. And if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.